All right, so we, in our adult class, we are actually studying the Sabbath and what the Lord calls us to do on, on the Lord's Day, and uh, um, we're working our way through chapter 21 of the Westminster Confession of Faith, and uh, uh, we finished paragraphs through paragraph 7, and uh, t- today's lesson, and likely next week's lesson, we're going to step out of the Westminster Confession to take a look at um, what the scriptures say concerning that first day of the week. So far, we have established, and it's really easy to establish, that the apostolic church met on the first day of the week. And we've done that the last couple of lessons, uh, showing that uh, the apostles, the, early, the uh, apostolic church Christians met on Sunday, not on Saturday. And that's been demonstrated. What we haven't demonstrated yet is that that, that first day is actually the um, is actually the um, Sabbath day, the Christian Sabbath, and that's where the goal is for uh, today and Lord willing next uh, Lord's Day. Uh, and in order to answer this question, is the first day of the week the Christian Sabbath? really have to understand the theology of the Sabbath. Why did God give us the Sabbath? And then, is the day, is the seventh day of the nature of the Sabbath? That, that, as in, if you don't have the seventh day, then that's not the Sabbath. Those are questions that we need to, to answer. Do, do you understand when I say it's something of the nature of what we're doing or not? You know, uh, uh, there's, there are things that are on the outside that may be related to something that we do, but may not be of the nature of what we're doing. For example, to baptize, we need to use water. So if you take water out, you don't have baptism anymore. You, know, you have some dry cleaning or something like that. It's not uh, baptism anymore. So to baptize, you have to have water. But whether you pour the water or sprinkle, whether you do from the right side or from the left side, those are not essential to what, the, to what baptism is. So you see things that are essential to be doing the thing, and there are things that are not so essential. So is the seventh day essential for the Sabbath, or can the Scriptures change that day and still be the Sabbath? Do you understand? That that's, that's the kind of questions that we are, need to be asking. What is it that we have already uh, studied? What is it that we have already learned what is that we already know? Well, we know that God's command to keep the entire day holy each week is embedded in the heart of the Ten Commandments, which are perpetual and are of a moral nature. Uh, we, we saw that the Old Testament says that the Sabbath day is a perpetual command. So we have to deal with that uh, because, you know, perpetual means forever. Perpetual means you do all the time. Perpetual means that you do till the Lord tells us to not do it anymore. So we have to deal with that idea. How is that perpetual um, for us and so on? We also saw that um, all the other nine commands are moral laws, not ceremonial, not civil laws. They are laws that uh, bind uh, people, humanity, for all eternity. We also saw that those that are the most intimate with Jesus, the apostles themselves, began to worship on the first day of the week instead of the seventh. 
and the church has done so ever since. And we saw that in the epistles, the letters of the New Testament, the apostles often, or the writers often, uh, appeal to the Ten Commandments as the code of mor- morality, as the code of ethics that the church should follow. And I keep on going to that because there's this, uh, this approach to the Sabbath and, and saying, oh, it's not for us anymore. And leaving it at that. But we can't deal that way because it's part of, it's part of a set of moral code, of ethical code, that we're not and should not be willing to dismiss. I, I, I have not found a faithful Christian who is willing to say that murdering, that, that being against murder is not for us anymore. Or that lying is a good thing now because we're not under law, we are under grace kind of thing. No, we're trying to, st- to stick to the other nine, and for some reason we don't like this fourth commandment, and uh, I have ideas why, but that's the, the thing there. We also saw that um, Jesus capped the Sabbath as a day of worship. In Luke chapter 4, we could go to other examples, but in Luke chapter 4, verse 16, Luke says this, talking about Jesus. So he came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up, and as his custom was... He went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up to read. So the custom of Jesus, the habit of Jesus was to gather with God's people on the Sabbath day to worship Him. That was His habit. That's what our Savior did. Um, so, uh, you know, that's, that's a good uh, example there to follow. One thing that we also saw, but we, we didn't look in more detail, is that Jesus taught often about the Sabbath. And I want us to look at that, and I would love for you to grab your Bible, turn on your Bible, whatever you do to have access to your Bible. Remember all that you memorize, I guess, uh, and turn to Mark chapter 2. We're going to turn to five passages. Mark chapter 2. The Sabbath, alongside with the subject of hell, were the two most popular subjects that Jesus taught. We don't uh, usually realize that, but the Sabbath and hell were the two things that Jesus spent a lot of time uh, teaching. Some people say finances as well, but uh, I think that might be a little misguided because Jesus often taught him used financial illustrations to teach him something else, not necessarily about finances. But on the Sabbath, he went out of his way to engage people concerning the Sabbath. Look at that, Mark chapter 2, verse 23. Mark 2, verse 23. Now it happened that he went through the grain fields on the Sabbath. Uh, uh, I think uh, a lot of the gospel writers have a little bit of a sarcasm in the way that they, they write, especially Luke. Luke... Uh, this is Mark, I know that, but they, they all share in that where Mark says, and it happened as if things happen just by accident, right? Now it happened that Jesus was in the grain field on the Sabbath, right? Well, Jesus didn't do anything without a purpose. So there's a purpose that he's in the grain field on the Sabbath. And as they went, his disciples began to pluck the heads of grain. And the Pharisees said to him, look, why do, you, do they do what is not lawful on the Sabbath? 
All right, so that's the accusation. They're doing something that's not lawful on the Sabbath. 25, but he said to them, have you never read what David did when he was in need and hungry, and he and those with him? How he went into the house of God in the days of Abiathar the high priest and ate the showbread, which is not lawful to eat except for the priests, and also gave some to those who were with him? And he said to them, the Sabbath has made, uh, was made for man and not man for the Sabbath. Therefore, the Son of Man is the Lord of the Sabbath. Notice what Jesus doesn't do here. When, when the Pharisees come to him and, and accuse them, why do, they, why do they do what is not lawful on the Sabbath? Jesus doesn't say, we don't have to observe the Sabbath. Notice that? He says, actually, that we have to do it properly. Much like what he does in the Sermon on the Mount. Remember how the Sermon on the Mount, he often says, you have heard it said? He's not quoting the Old Testament. He's quoting what the Pharisees, the, the, the teachers of the time were saying. He's recalibrating their understanding of scriptures back to how God meant them to be. And that's what he's doing here. The Pharisees had made the Sabbath a burden on man, and Jesus says that's not the intent of the Scriptures. The Sabbath was made for men, not men for the Sabbath. And then Mark continues into chapter 3 where there's another interaction about the Sabbath day in verse 1 of chapter 3. And he entered into the synagogue again, and a man was there who had a withered hand. So they watched him closely whether he would heal him on the Sabbath so that they might accuse him. Can you imagine the evilness of the heart? Oh, I can't wait to, to see him heal this guy so we can nail him. You know, there's no compassion for the guy who was, who was diseased. There's no uh, rejoicing that a brother has been brought back to health and so on. Verse 3, And he said to the man who had the withered hand step forward, then he said to them, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do evil, to save life or to kill? But they kept silent. And when he had looked around and at them with anger and being grieved by the hardness of their hearts, he said to them, stretch out your hand. And he stretched it out and his hand was restored as whole as the other. Then the Pharisees went out and immediately prodded with the Herodians against him how they might destroy him. Again, Jesus doesn't say, Pharisees, you're wrong in thinking that my people have to keep the Sabbath. He doesn't say that at all. But he does say, you're wrong in thinking that we must be slaves of rules that you've created that are contrary to what God has thought concerning the Sabbath. Any questions on that before we go to the next passage? Just the same passage you were reading before. Uh, Mark. So we started in verse 23 of chapter 2, and we read through verse 6 of chapter 3. Okay, Luke, look, at, look at Luke chapter 13. And look at verse 10. So Luke 13, verse 10. 
Now he was teaching in one of the synagogues on the Sabbath. And behold, there was a woman who had a spirit of infirmity 18 years and was bent over and could in no way raise herself up. But when Jesus saw her, he called her to him and said to her, Woman, you are loosed from your infirmity. And he said, his, he laid his hands on her, and immediately she was made straight and glorified God. But the ruler of the synagogue answered him with indignation, because Jesus had healed on the Sabbath. And he said to the crowd, There are six days on which men ought to work. Therefore, come and be healed on them, and not on the Sabbath day. So you see what's going on here. Hey, all you sick people, come back tomorrow. You have six days. Today is not a day of mercy. It's not a day of compassion. It's not a day of healing. You go seek that on the other days. And then the Lord responds to them in verse 15. Hypocrite, does not each one of you on the Sabbath lose his ox or donkey from the stall and lead it away to water it? So ought not this woman, being a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan has bound, think of it. For 18 years, be loosed from this bond on the Sabbath. And when he had said these things, all his adversaries were put to shame, and all the multitude rejoiced for all the glorious things that were done by him. If you, if you remember the passage in Mark that we led, we read, it was Jesus' teaching on the Sabbath that caused the Pharisees to start plotting to kill him. So, humanly speaking, it was his, his teaching that the Sabbath is still valid and that there's a proper way of keeping it that got him to the cross. Humanly speaking, that's why his enemies were really upset with him uh, for. Any questions on that? Okay, look at uh, Luke chapter 14, starting verse 1. Now it happened as he went into the house of one of the rulers of the Pharisees to eat bread on the Sabbath, they watched him closely. And behold, there was a certain man before him who had dropsy. And Jesus answering spoke to the lawyers and Pharisees, saying, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? But they kept silent. And they took him, and he, and he, and he took him, and healed him, and let him go. Then he answered them, saying, Which of you, having a donkey or an ox that has fallen into a pit, will not immediately pull him out on the Sabbath day? And they could not answer him regarding these things. Why is he, why is he talking about donkeys and ox here? What is this argument that he's making? They say that if your donkey or your ox falls in the ditch, you go out and pull out. Natalie? They're responsible for them, yes. But there's a logical argument being made here, Nick. The lesser to the greater. The lesser to the greater, right? If a donkey or an ox, if you, if you in essence heal a donkey or an ox on the Sabbath day, why shouldn't you also be okay with healing one of God's uh, a being created in God's image, which is a greater being than an ox or uh, a donkey uh, there. Uh, and so, so Jesus doesn't say anything about the Sabbath is not for us. But he does say, Pharisees, you're thinking wrongly of the Sabbath, and let me adjust your thinking on the Sabbath. These are all unique times, meaning these are not parallel passages. These are individual times that Jesus 
has dealt. We're going to limit ourselves to five, but we could go more than that. Look at John chapter 5. Starting in verse 1. This is the, um, the episode of the man that's healed by the pool of Bethesda. Uh, and, um, you know, Jesus take, tells him to pick up his mat and walk. Uh, so, verse 1 of John 5. After, these, after this, there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now there is in Jerusalem by the Sheep Gate a pool, which is called in Hebrew Bethesda having five porches. In these lay a great multitude of sick people, blind, lame, paralyzed, waiting for the moving of the water. When an angel went down at a certain time into the pool and stirred up the water, then whoever stepped in first after the stirring of the water was made well of whatever disease he had. A certain man was there who had an infirmity 38 years. And Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he already had been in that condition a long time, he said to him, Do you want to be made well? The sick man answered him, Sir, I have no man to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up. But while I am coming, another steps down before me. Jesus said to him, Rise, take up your bed and walk. And immediately the man was made well, took up his bed and walked. And that day was the Sabbath. So just picture in your head what's going on here. So this guy's been paralyzed for 38 years. Nobody to help him out. He's by himself. He's literally, you know, there's something that happens at this school. Either, either a factual thing that they see healing or at least it's perceived as being a healing pool. And he finds himself daily dragging him Kind of picture him like a military crawl, just dragging him by his arms, trying to get in the pool to get healed. And Jesus comes and, out of compassion and mercy, heals him. And that's the Sabbath day. Now look at the reaction of those that were supposed to be the religious leaders of the day. By the way, in, in, uh, John doesn't, word the word, doesn't use the word Pharisee in, it, in his gospel, but he refers to them as the Jews. The, the, he's not referring to the entirety of Israel. He's referring to the leaders, the religious leaders of the time. And this is their reaction, verse ten. So the Jews therefore said to him, well, the Jews therefore said to him, who was cured, is it the, It is a Sabbath. It's not lawful for you to carry your bed. Can you imagine that after thirty-eight years of this guy, this is a well-known guy in town. He knows that they're paralytic. He, they see the guy walking, and the first thing that comes to their minds is that drop your mat. When it says he's carrying your bed, it's more like a yoga mat that he's carrying. Not like he's not going with a queen th- uh, Tempur-Pedic in his back. But, you know, like a rolled up straw mat. So to see the guy that they knew couldn't walk, walking, and the first thing that comes to, to your mind, drop your mat because it's the Sabbath day. There's no wonder. There's no sense of, this is great. There's no sense of compassion. And then they continue. Uh, that Jesus, then, then Jesus, uh, the, the man says to them, he who, 
who, he who made me well said to me, take up your bed and walk. And wouldn't you do that too? If somebody, if you couldn't walk and then you're walking, the guy said, now I just want you to pick up your mat and walk. So, I'll pick, pick up everybody's mat and walk if you want me to, right? Verse 12, then they said, they asked him, who is the man who said to you, take up your mat, your bed and walk? But the one who was healed did not know who it was, for Jesus had withdrawn, a multitude being that place. Afterward, Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, See, you have been made well. Sin no more, lest a worse thing comes uh, upon you. The man departed and told the Jews that it was Jesus who made him well. So perhaps the man did not... Come, did not really come to faith in Jesus the, because he went back and tattled on the man. Of, uh, if you compare this with the man in, in chapter 9 of John, that's the blindest maid, the, he, he is, is, has a different attitude than this guy. Uh, but it continues, verse 16, For this reason the Jews persecuted Jesus and sought to kill him because he had done these things on the Sabbath. See that? that? They were trying to get Jesus crucified because he had healed the Sabbath. The Sabbath, the Sabbath was key for the ultimate crucifixion of Jesus as far as the religious leaders were concerned. Now, they couldn't get that charge to stick in the Roman court, so they had to accuse him of sedition, that he was trying to overthrow the government. But in their minds, the Sabbath controversies was what eventually led to the crucifixion of, of the Lord Jesus. So in, in a very real way, our Lord died in order to preserve the Sabbath, to teach the proper teaching of, of the Sabbath. Any questions? We have one more passage. Scott G. Sounds like a your rapper name. Scott G. Yeah. Drop a beat. The, um, motivation. I know it doesn't say the motivation of the religious leaders, but the Jews were trying to what uh, so the question is what would be the motivation of the religious religious leaders in holding fast to these traditions well if you control the the rules you have control of the people authority power I think this is all involved here now I don't think that can be attributed to everybody I think some some of them were really convinced that these were the right things to do like tradition, like in a fiddler on the roof. This is how we do things. This is our identity. And to, to break that is to break away from our identity. So, uh, but knowing man's heart, you know, uh, I think a desire for control and authority can be a, a big motivation behind what's going on here. Any other questions before we look at the last passage on this part of our lesson? All right, look at John 7. Verse 14. It says, Now about the middle of the feast, Jesus went up into the temple and taught. And the Jews marveled, saying, How does this man know letters, having never studied? What they mean by that, he wasn't a Pharisee. He hadn't been trained under one of the major rabbis and so on. But he was considered a rabbi in the sense that 
when he showed up at, at uh, different synagogues, he would be invited to teach. So he was seen as a traveling rabbi. And uh, you see that uh, both in, Ma- in Matthew spe- specifically, when the lawyer comes to co- try to catch him on his word, remember, and say, well, it's the most important thing. And Jesus says, well, love the Lord with every ounce of your being. Love your neighbor as yourself. He says, rabbi, or great teacher. So, but he wasn't trained under one of the great rabbis in Jerusalem. Okay, verse 16. Jesus answered them and said, that my doctrine is not mine. But, they, but his who sent me, if anyone wills to do his will, he shall know concerning the doctrine whether it is from God or whether, it is, whether I speak uh, on my own authority. He who speaks from himself seeks his own glory, but he who seeks the glory of the one who sent me, him is true, and no unrighteousness is in him. Did not Moses give you the law? Yet none of you keep the law. Why do you seek to kill me? The people answered and said, You have a demon. Who is seeking to kill you? Jesus answered and said to them, I did one work, and you are all marveled. Moses, therefore, gave you circumcision, not that it it is from Moses, but from the fathers. You notice how, just as a side note, how Jesus pulls out circumcision out of the so-called Mosaic dispensation and says that's not part of that, it's part of something greater. Just keep that in the back of your mind for some future lesson. Um, but you circumcise a man on the Sabbath. If a man sees circumcision on the Sabbath, so, the law, so that the law of Moses should be, not be broken, are you angry with me because I made a man completely well on the Sabbath? Do not judge according to appearance, but judge with righteous judgment. So Jesus is saying that what he's doing on the Sabbath is as proper as circumcising somebody on the Sabbath in accordance to the law given to them by Moses. So again, he's coming, he's saying, I'm not, I'm not doing away with the Sabbath. I'm helping you understand properly what God has meant from the very beginning by the Sabbath. These are the things that we should be doing, should be rejoicing, should be thinking about the Sabbath or um, to do on the Sabbath. That's what Jesus is telling. Again, notice that Jesus never said that the Pharisees were wrong because they insisted on, on obeying the fourth commandment. Jesus spoke against the way the Pharisees kept it, but not that they kept it. Does it make sense? There's a big difference there. Any questions before we move on? All right, so what we do here in this exercise, we established that Jesus himself is for the Sabbath. He's not against the Sabbath. He's for the Sabbath. And he gives us ideas on how that day should look like, and we're going to take a look at those later on. And I wanted to actually pull out these five passages so that you have a real taste of just mentioning them and look, reading them so that you actually see with your eyeballs that Jesus cared and cares about the Sabbath. Remember that he is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He doesn't change. So he cared about the Sabbath, which means that he cares about the Sabbath. All right? Any general questions before we continue? So, what have we done so far? So far, I have taught you that the fourth commandment has to be reckoned with because it is part of the Ten Commandments. I have also shown to you that it is a perpetual commandment. 
We all agree that the Apostolic Church worshipped on the first day of the week. I don't think I think there's no disagreement on that. Um, Jesus frequently taught on the Sabbath, uh, and he never repealed it. Nowhere he says, do not keep it anymore. The only thing that I haven't done is to show you the connection between the Sabbath and the first day of the week. And that's what we're going to start doing now. And to do that, I need you to turn to Hebrews chapter 4. I wanted to show you that contrary to what the Seventh-day Adventists say, worship on the first day is not a creation of Constantine as the Roman emperor. You know, that's uh, often what the, the um, Seventh-day Adventists will say. I think uh, Hebrews chapter 4 will clearly show us that we are to worship the Lord on the first day because that is the Christian Sabbath. And that's going to remain the same till our Lord comes back. Now, before we get into chapter 4, we need to figure out how chapter 4 fits in the rest of what the argument that's going on here. Because the argument that we read in chapter 4 begins all the way back in chapter 3, verse 1. Hebrews 3, 1 through 4, 13 is an exhortation to preserve in the midst of of the discussion, to persevere in the midst of the discussion of the high priesthood of Christ. So Jesus is talking about the high priesthood of Christ, how he's better than Moses, he's better than Aaron, he's a better high priest. And then he's encouraging these Christians that he's writing to, to persevere in their faith. You can see that in chapter 1, verse 1, where the author encourages them to be confident in Jesus that he is the high priest. He says, therefore, holy brethren, partakers of the heavenly calling, consider the apostle and high priest of our confession, Christ Jesus. And then in chapter 3, verses 7 through 11, he quotes Psalm 95, 7 through 11. uh, And he uses that psalm as a warning to the Hebrew Christians not to fail to receive everlasting blessing because of unbelief. The, the, and the, the writer, as he quotes Psalm 95, found in the curse, they will not enter into my rest, a promise that some will. They won't, they didn't, but some have and some will. We see that in chapter 4, verses 1 and 6. And because of this promise, the writer encourages the Hebrew Christians not to fall short of the promise, as their ancestors had fallen short of Canaan in the desert. And he starts by urging them in chapter 4, verse 1, by talking about it this way. Therefore, since a promise remains of entering his rest, let us fear, lest any of you seem to have come short of of it. So that's where we find chapter 4, in this encouragement to persevere in Christ, who is a high priest. And, uh, And then he's going to kind of focus on this idea of rest and the fact that there's a rest that still remains for us to enter. And that is why we still keep the Sabbath, pointing forward to that, ha- that, that, that rest that still remains. What doesn't remain is time for us to continue our lesson today. <laughs> Any questions about the things that we have said so far? 
Yes, Linda. So the rest forward is heaven? Yes, in the resurrection, yes. The eternal eternity, yes. Any other questions? All right, so let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you so much for your goodness to us. We thank you for this day that you've given us. We pray, Father, that you enable us to be faithful to you, to see your glory, to grow in Christ, to rejoice in the goodness of our God, even as we move on now to our worship service. Father, we pray that your spirit would point us to Christ, that you strengthen our faith, that we would behold the glory of uh, our Savior and your goodness to us. We're asking in Jesus' name, amen.